John 1, 29 through 38. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them and following him and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? This is the word of of the Lord. Well, again, good morning, church. Uh, my name's Nathan. If I haven't met you yet, I'm one of the pastors. It's uh, great to, to be here, great to be with you. Um, I'm sure we're all excited for the events of this afternoon, but for a moment, we're going to concentrate on something else, okay? Um, let, me, let me pray for us, and we'll, we'll jump in uh, to God's Word this morning. Let's pray. Father, we long to hear from you. God, God we, know, um, we know our need. Uh, even, even for those of us here who aren't Christians, um, maybe not people of faith, I think we all recognize that we, we are needy people uh, and that we're not very good at doing life on our own. And so, God, I pray that you would speak through the power of your spirit, that you would remind us of who you are, who we are, um, and how uh, you have sent your son to rescue us. Give us joy as we remember these things. In Jesus' name, amen. What do you want Like, what do you really want? Like, think, think about that question for a moment. I mean, if you're anything, anything like me, like, that, that's, a, that's a hard, it's kind of a hard question to answer. I mean, I can talk about lots of surfacey things that I want, but what do I want? Also, if you're anything like me, you probably suffered uh, a little bit of decision fatigue, like, since the beginning of the pandemic. I mean, there were whole seasons there where it was really hard to, like, Make extra decisions. I mean, I felt, I felt that way. Uh, there, was, there were several months in there where I'd come home from, from work and Kelly would be like, what do you, you want to watch something tonight? Do you wanna, what do you want for dinner? And I'd be like, anything, just don't ask. Like, I just, I can't, I can't be a part of the decision. I was so tired. I didn't know what I wanted. Maybe some of you experienced something, something similar. In, in fact, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, we were both in this mood, Kelly and I, uh, and it was a Sunday night. I was exhausted uh, and we were making pizza for dinner together, which it's an interesting recipe right there, just anyway, uh, in the kitchen. Uh, and we're like, well, do you want this kind? Do you want this kind? And we're like, 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 this is a dumb story, people. But like, we almost got in a fight over the fact that neither of us could make a decision about pizza. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not exaggerating. I called my, my daughter from upstairs, from downstairs and said, hey, Eden, what kind of pizza do you want tonight? And made her decide for us. It was delicious. But still, it was like ridiculous. We just didn't, we couldn't figure out what we wanted. And that question, like, what do you want? It's one of the most important questions of the human experience. Not just barbecue chicken or pepperoni, right? But what do you really 
want. Maybe, maybe you're thinking, like, well, I want, a, I want a better job. It's like, but do you? I mean, maybe you want a greater sense of life satisfaction. Maybe you want a greater sense of security. And maybe even, even further back than that, you want to know that your life matters, that it counts for something, that, that what you're contributing to actually works, that you're, uh, that you're going to be okay, right? Or, or maybe, maybe you think, well, I, just, I, want to, I want to be married. That's what I want. Maybe. I'm not, I'm not minimizing that desire, but I mean, I can tell you, I'm married, I love being married, but it hasn't, hasn't solved all my problems. And if I'm completely honest, what I really want, behind all of that, I want, I want vulnerability, I want intimacy, I want community, I want to know that I'm going to be loved anyway, no matter what, right? That's what I want. Or maybe they, I, just, I, want, I just want things to be normal again. I mean, we all want that, right? I just want things, but what, what is even that about? That's maybe stability, predictability, like a sense of hope, like things, that, that things are going to be okay. And the list goes on. It's like, well, I want, I want my depression to be over. I want my health to be better. I want, I want to stop this particular sin. I want to get along with that person again. I want, I want my, friend, my, my kids to, to flourish. And, and like, I, I believe you, right? We want those things. But why do you want those things? What do you really want? Truly, this is one of the most important questions you will ever answer. And what amazes me, and scholars point this out, the very first words of Jesus recorded in the Gospel of John. Like the very first time Jesus speaks in John. So like you imagine John, like the first thing he's like, oh, I'm going to write that down, right? The very first words of Jesus in the Gospel of John are that question. What do you want? That's how the NIV translates it. What do you want? The ESV, depending on what you have, says what are you seeking? But the idea, the idea is the same, right? At your very core, what are you looking for? Because if you can answer that question, only then is there a possibility that you might actually receive it. Now, thankfully, John answers that question for us. But the, but the answer comes out in the words just before when Jesus asked that question. We kind of ended our scripture reading with that, with that question. So you've got to go back just a little bit, back up in, in the story. So turn to John chapter 1 if you haven't already. We'll have the, the scripture uh, on the slides as well. Um, we're in the middle of a, a series on John. We haven't got out of the first chapter yet. Um, we will eventually. <laughs> Um, we will, I promise. Uh, but I, I, love, I love John. I love the way he writes. I love the, his understanding. He's a personal friend of Jesus. Like he, they, they, they spend a lot of time together, right? And now this particular story is a little bit confusing at first. You've got you to hang with me because there are two Johns at the beginning of John, okay? So we, there's John, the, the writer of John, the, the, the apostle John, the disciple John. That's the John we're going to talk about most in this series because he's the one who's written these things down for us. But there's also... In the beginning, and a couple times throughout, there's John the Baptist. He's a different John. He's not the same, it's not the same John. Or, or if, you've, uh, if you've ever watched The, the Chosen, uh, Peter refers to him as Creepy John. I love that. I love that. It just gets me. It, it, as an aside, if you haven't watched The Chosen, you've got to watch The Chosen. It's so good. Uh, and so, so Creepy John, okay? Uh, that's John the Baptist. This is Jesus' cousin. Uh, he was known as a reclusive preacher who lived off a diet of locusts and honey, Okay? Hence the, uh, hence the creepy. You're welcome. Uh, now that's what you're going to think of when you think of John the Baptist, creepy John. Uh, Locust and honey. So he's kind of a weird guy, right? 
but he was sent by God to be this like forerunner, this, this one who would, who would prepare the way for Jesus. And as the, as the start of the gospel, and several of the gospels begin kind of similarly with this, um, at the very start right here, like some of the religious leaders, they, they go to John the Baptist because they want to figure out, like, is he Jesus? Is he the Christ? Is he the promised one? And so in verse, verse 23, John the Baptist responds back to them. He says, I, he says, no, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. This is him quoting the prophet Isaiah. And they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. So whatever it is, right, it's a big deal, right? And so to understand like what's happening here, so that in this particular story, they're, they're there with John the Baptist searching for something, right? They're looking like, are you the one, right? Are you the one that we're looking for? And so that's, that's the context. And then in the next story, it begins with those words of Jesus, right? What are you seeking? Do you see the connection that, that's happening there? Like everybody, everybody is looking for something, right? And why this is so important, because right in the middle of these two stories of, of the, the religious leaders looking for something and these new disciples, Jesus being asking them, what, what are they looking for? Right in the middle of that, John the Baptist tells us where to look. That the answer to, to Jesus' question, the answer to our big question, John the Baptist twice cries out. You see it, the word, behold. It's kind of an old-timey way of saying, hey, look, over here. Like, you've got to see this. And not just see, you've got you've to like be absorbed by this. Like, this, like, behold me. Like, this is what you're looking for. Well, behold, what? What are we supposed to behold, creepy John? A lamb, he says. Behold the lamb. Well, that can't be right. Like, we're not looking for a lamb, are we? It's like the only time I've really ever wanted a lamb when I was craving a gyro, right? Which sounds really good right now. That's, I mean... When, when, would we ever, when would we ever say, like, this is what I'm, I'm looking for? And I don't think that's what this locust eater means, right? Behold the lamb. That's what we're searching for? Now, if you think that's weird, don't worry, you're not alone, because so, so would they have. Like, they, had, they didn't want a lamb. Like, these, these original readers, like, they want a leader. They don't want a lamb. A lamb is a, you know, that's a, like a sacrifice. It's, it's, not a, it's not a fierce animal by any means. Like they want, a, they want a political ruler to overthrow the Romans, right? Someone to squash their enemies. Lambs are, they're weak, they're helpless, they're unimportant. Nobody wants a lamb. But that's not entirely true, is it? Adam and Eve wanted a lamb. So Adam and Eve, the first humans, right, when they declared war against God in the garden, they were naked and exposed, and they knew it. And not just, not just naked physically. I mean, that's the idea uh, when that's used in, in Genesis 1 through 3 right there. It's like they, they were exposed, like their shame was seen. And we know that feeling, right? When, when somebody finds out something you don't ever want anybody to know, and you feel that sense of shame, they, they knew 
They knew that shame. So what does God do? Genesis 3, 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. And church, this wasn't, this wasn't just clothes, right? It was a covering for their shame. It's hope for forgiveness. It's, it's a foreshadowing of, of, of the lamb. Adam and Eve wanted a lamb. Isaac wanted a lamb. Now, this is one of the hardest stories in the Bible for me, okay? I got a lot of questions for God at some point on this story. It's a hard story because God asks Abraham, who's the father of faith, right? He asks Abraham to sacrifice his son, the son that he'd been waiting literally decades for, right? The son who, who God had promised would, would make him into nations, right? He, he asked Abraham to sacrifice him. And so Abraham, trusting God, trusting that God would somehow figure this out, right? Because God had made big promises about this son. He, he hikes up to the top of this mountain with his son, Isaac. And Isaac knew they were going up there to, to sacrifice. It was clear, right? They had the supplies, except he's like, Dad, you forgot the lamb. Like, uh, what are we going to sacrifice, Dad? So in Genesis 22, Genesis 22, verse 7, we read, Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Cool, cool, okay. But God does provide. And God, God stops the sacrifice, and that, that scene sort of ends, and it says, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Isaac and Abraham both wanted a lamb, right? One more, one more. God's, God's people, when they were slaves in Egypt, wanted a lamb. They've been oppressed for 400 years. Like they had no power against the Egyptians. The Egyptians were the, the superpower of that day, and they, they were living in constant oppression, right? But on the night of their deliverance, God told them to make a, a particular meal, the Passover feast. They don't know that yet. They don't know what's going to be called that, right? But the Passover feast. And part of that meal is that they're to, to eat a, a spotless lamb, an un, unblemished blemished lamb. That was part of, part of that feast, but they were supposed to, as they were preparing it, they were supposed to go and put the blood on their, on their doorpost. And that, that the angel of death, that God, when he would come and set them free from the Egyptians, he would pass over, right? Pass over. He would pass over their houses and spare them so that he could set them free. In fact, in Exodus 12, Verse 13, he says, when I see the blood, God is speaking, he says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And this led to their deliverance. And so Adam and Eve wanted a lamb to cover them in their shame. Isaac and Abraham wanted a, a lamb to, to, to spare them, right? To spare the son. And, and God's people wanted a lamb to set them free from their history of oppression. And believe it or not, you and I need a lamb too. And creepy John knows it. And he knows all of these stories. 
He knows our deepest longings, our deepest fears, our deepest needs. And when he sees Jesus, he cries out, look. You, you got to see him. Like, look, this is, this is what we're looking for. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. For at the very core of our desires, the most profound answer to Jesus' question, to your question, to my question, what are you seeking? What do you want? The answer is him. Which I know sounds like a very pastory thing to say, right? Very churchy, isn't it? So why? Why is Jesus the answer? Why is he the lamb, the longing behind every one of our longings? Well, I think there are three reasons in particular, and we're going to see them as we unpack this, this verse. We're going to spend the rest of the time just on that one verse. Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. What does that mean, and why is it so important to us? So reason, reason number one, that the Lamb is ultimately what you and I want, is this. We want to know that we can be loved anyway. Fundamental to the human experience, no matter who you are, no matter where you grow up, like, no matter your background, what you believe, you want to believe deep within you that you can be loved anyway. The lamb who takes away our sin. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we know how unlovable we can be, at least sometimes, right? We know the messes we make, the heartaches that we cause, the evil thoughts that we have that we don't want anyone. Oh my goodness, if they actually knew some of my thoughts, Right? Maybe there are things about your life where you just think, if, man, if this person, if they only knew me, if they, if they really knew me, if they knew my past, they knew the things that I'd, I'd done before, they, they knew what I think about when I'm alone. If they only knew, they'd leave, they'd walk out, they'd want nothing to do with me. We have those deep-seated fears, don't we? And we know it's true, right? We know that we can be deeply unlovable, and yet we desperately want to be loved anyway. People, we need somebody to take away our sin. Not just hide it or brush it under the rug, right, or minimize it. We have plenty of people who do that. Like, oh, it's, it's not that bad, right? Not, it's not that bad. You just, you just got to accept yourself, right? It's like, well, I've tried, I've tried that, actually. Have you tried that? It's like, it doesn't really help, right? You can accept yourself all you want, but I still feel like a mess sometimes, right, deep within. We need someone to take it away. You know, there are certain things in life that we really want to hold on to, right? I mean, good memories, deep relationships, experiences of beauty and joy, of laughter. It's like, man, accomplishment. Like, you just you want, to, you want to hold on to those things with all that you have. I have never met a person who said, man, my mistakes, those times that were when I really blew, that time when I yelled at my kids and I could see the dread in their eyes, the time I said those unspeakable things to my spouse, this person who I love, that, that friendship that I, I ruined over a moment of gossip is gone. Can't get it back. Yeah, I want to hold on to those things. But nobody, nobody says that. I mean, in those moments, in the, the, the deepest recesses of our own brokenness and shame, we're like, anybody, take it away. I don't, I don't want to hold it anymore. I don't want to carry those things anymore. Would anybody please take it from me? Because you see, sin is, is ultimately, it's our rebellion against God, certainly. It's our rejection of him. But it's, it's, our, it's our selfishness and our self-destructiveness. 
It's what separates us from him. It's what separates us from one another. It's even what separates us from ourselves. And it's not just take away our sins that John says, plural. I mean, that'd be great. But this is better than that. It's not just take away those individual mistakes, those, those things that we did. It's not just take away our sin, like all of it, the totality of it. Not just, not just forgiveness for past mistakes, but a promise that one day it'll be no more. Not, not just about our past shame, but rather about a future in which shame is no longer even a reality. And not, and not just your sin, like even the sin that's been committed against you. Like the effects and heartache and pain, right? The baggage that you carry from your parents or your ex-boyfriend or that teacher who shamed you or that person who abused you, even that. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And deep, deep down, like deep, deep down, We want so badly to know that somebody's going to do it. Somebody's going to love us anyway. Somebody's going to make us lovable and make us lovable forever. We want that. And to be able to say, John the Baptist saying, like, this is why he came. This is what, this is his mission. This is what he intends to accomplish in your life and in mine. And that is, that is what we want. That's the first reason we're seeking this lamb. So that we can know that we're loved. Anyway, second Second, the lamb is the answer to this question because we want to know that there's hope for our world. We want to know that there's hope, not just, not just for me and my people, right? My little slice of it, but like hope for our whole world. Like behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, now it's clear, right? John, John is not meaning that everybody just gets a pass. Everybody's forgiven. It's like, that's, that's not it at all. Like if you keep reading in John, you quickly understand that, that those... Uh, who believe in the Lamb, right? Who put their trust in the Lamb. Those are the ones who, who are saved, right? Who are forgiven and restored. That's, that's very clear. And so what does, it, what does it mean, the sin of the world? It means that the Lamb is available to everyone. Like everyone has access. That God's, God's love is for the entire world. Like it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, where you've been, right? Even us, like even for us, we who were outsiders. It's for me. It also means that this, this salvation isn't meant to be purely individual, right? Just me and Jesus, and that's, that's all that matters, right? No, it's, it's more like the Passover feast that delivered an entire people. Like Jesus came for the world. And this, this lamb intends to rule over his kingdom. Which means then, if this is true, if there's this kind of hope for reality, for, for the world, for everything, right, then it means that our lives here actually matter. Like the, the work we do, the things that we, the people that we serve, the people we interact with, like it gives a new sense of meaning to all of it. That when he takes away the sin of the world, this means the end of, of war, of disease, injustice, hatred, broken systems and cultures, and ultimately even death itself. You know, we sometimes, we sometimes wrongly think that this lamb came, like the goal was to help us escape planet Earth. Like that's what we really need, man. We just, we just got to get off this planet. We got to do it quickly and go to heaven already, right? Like God doesn't, he's not interested in the world. That's, that's not what the scriptures teach, actually. 
In fact, in the very last book of the Bible, which is written by the Apostle John, right, the same guy writing this gospel for us, he, he describes a very different picture of that, that the end of, of all things, it's not an escape from this world, but it's that this world actually gets made new. It's like a rebirth of this world. That God himself will live here with us in the light of the world, John says, will be this lamb. Because God doesn't intend to take us out of the world. He intends to take sin out of the world and to take it out forever and then to join us here and live with us for all of eternity. And this means that our lives here in this reality matters. That it's not just, it's not sort of like all going to burn and we can just forget about it. It doesn't really matter. It's like, well, we'll have heaven. No, it means it, it matters. And the reason the lamb is the answer to our deepest longing is because we want to know that it matters. We want to know that there's hope beyond even just my own experience, but hope for our world. And then finally, though, what does John the Baptist tell us to do with the lamb? It's kind of weird, isn't it? What does he tell us to do? What's the command here? Just behold. Like, that's, that's what he wants in this, in this moment. He's just like, behold him. Like, like, look at him. Like, ultimately, this, this is the answer, right? Right here. Because, yes, we, we want to know that we're loved anyway. Certainly we do. Yes, we want to know that there's hope for our world. But even more than that, we want to behold the one who will do it. We want to behold the one who will do it. We want to see Jesus, not just see him. Like, that's, see is sort of passive, right? That's not a really good translation of, of behold. Behold is so much more. Like, it's to be drawn in by him. It's wonder, it's focused attention, admiration, delight, worship, love. It's like, it's like when I'm in the mountains. Like, nobody just sees the mountains, right? You, know, you, you can't just see them. You behold them. Like, you're, you're taken in by them, the beauty, and, like, my, my heart just sort of, like, soars in the presence of them, right? I delight in them. Like, this is what John wants for us. Don't just look at Jesus. Behold him. And when Jesus asks... Right, that great, that great question, what are you seeking? This is, this is the answer. And, and the beauty of the lamb is that we don't just get to behold him like, you know, from afar, from a distance. It's that he actually comes to us. Because the very, the very next story here is like Jesus calling his first disciples. Calling us, you and me, to himself to follow him, to know him and be known by him to enter into a personal relationship with him. Because, yes, we, we are seeking him. That's the answer to this question. But more than that, ultimately, he is the one seeking us. And church, that's, that's what we want. More than money, more than sex, more than power, more than comfort, more than pleasure, more than barbecue pizza. Like, ultimately, what you want, what I want, more than anything else in the world It's not even that I just want to behold him. I want to behold him beholding me, beholding him. Which I know sounds ridiculous, right? But let me, I think that's ultimately what we want, right? It's not that we're just looking at him from afar. It's like we're not just staring at him as if he's a painting on the wall, right? No, I want to behold him. You want to behold him beholding you, beholding him. Right? You want to be drawn into that, that relationship. We want a relationship with a God who forgives us and restores us. We want to see him, but we also want to know that he sees us. 
and that he loves us anyway. And so, yes, you, you are seeking him, but the miracle of the gospel is that he was seeking you first. Yes, you want him, but the, the ultimate answer is that he wants you more. And again, this is, this is what taps into the deepest recesses of every longing you and I have for, for safety, for security, for joy, for intimacy, for vulnerability. All of those things, the very root of who we are, of what it means to be a human. Because we want somebody to look at us, every part of us, deep, deep within, and know us and love us. And that is what the God of the universe invites you and I into. I mean, I think of it, I think of it like when, when I'm with my kids uh, and we're truly delighting in one another. You know, like, you know those moments as a family, if, you, if you've been in those experiences, like uh, hopefully, hopefully you have, whether you're, you're family of origin or maybe your own kids, but like where you're just sort of laughing together. It's like, believe it or not, I can be pretty funny. I can be pretty silly with my kids. I know some of you are like, no, it's not possible. But so like, I, like imagine like a scene at the dinner table. We're all, we're all laughing together, probably because something Eden said. She's hilarious. And we're laughing at one another. And all of a sudden we start looking at each other. And in that moment, we're no longer enjoying the joke, right? We're enjoying each other. It's like I look at David, and I delight in him because he's my son. But he looks back, and he sees, he knows that I delight in him. And he's delighting in me, delighting in him. And this, this is what the God of the universe, this is what Jesus came to do. This is what he offers you and me into. A life of forgiveness, of love, of hope, of joy, of intimacy. The God of the universe, the one who made you. He is seeking you. He delights in you. And he wants to behold you. Will we behold him? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us to believe that you see us and that because of what you've done for us on the cross, you delight in us, that you, you sing over us, that you want to spend time with us, that we are a source of great joy for you. And I pray, I pray that we would see that, that we would know that, and that we would respond accordingly with delight in return, being transformed by the good news of what you have done, by the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. Thank you for being our spotless lamb, for willingly sacrificing yourself on the cross for us to give us forgiveness, to give us hope, and to give us an opportunity to know and to be known. For that, we will worship you forever. Amen.